Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is episode 113 of the Audible Forum podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. Couchtown Coffee is roasted right here in Iowa, and they will make coffee specifically for the order and then ship it to whoever ordered it. That's correct. If you want the best whole beans that Iowa has to offer, hit up Couchtown Coffee at couchtowncoffee.com. Find a coffee you like and make an order, and they will roast beans specifically for you and then ship them to your house. If you enter the code Audible Farm when you make an order, you'll save 20%. You can't beat that. Thanks. Thanks, Couchtown. Appreciate it. Get yourself some coffee, people. Support local. This week's episode features Josh Wig. Josh, uh, I had never met him before. He got in contact with me on the internet and said, hey, what do you think about talking to me? And he sent me some links and I was intrigued and here we go. So I sat down with Josh. He is a solo singer songwriter as well as a musician in the band called the Open Interest Band. Uh, They play covers, they play originals. He's got solo tunes, he's got a solo album, he's working on EPs, all sorts of cool stuff going on in this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it and check this out. I had a great time talking with Josh. Uh, Like I said, first time I ever really met him. I don't really know if you can call Skyping with somebody, meeting them, but it was close. I I met him and uh, great guy, great guy. It was a great episode. I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully catching one of Josh's shows sometimes. So check that out. It's episode 113 with Josh Wig. It's the Audible Farm Podcast. With your host, Peter Stockdale. Well, uh, my name is Josh Wig, and uh, I actually grew up in Stanton, Iowa. And uh, my wife, I, and my two kids, we live in Red Oak, Iowa, which is about maybe 15 minutes west of where I grew up. Um, kind of just been stuck here in Iowa, just, you know, doing my thing. Um, I, I do commute for uh, work every day, but, uh, you know, music has always been kind of always there in the back of my mind. You know, as things have come and gone in my life, there's a couple things that have always stayed the same for me, and that's um, obviously my work ethic and, uh, then, you know, music comes in there, uh, with all the ups and downs in life. It always seems to always be there, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, and you know, as we get older, I've noticed that sometimes my musical tastes have changed from time to time, but, um, you know, you still find yourself going back to that point in time where you were 16 or 18 or. 22 or 25, you know, and, uh, you know, some of those bands, uh, like Incubus or Lincoln Park were really coming out, you know, they're in like the year 99, 2000, stuff like that. And I can just, I think it really shaped kind of, um, kind of shaped who I was, you know, with my taste in music, um, from that point on. And, you know, there's another thing that's interesting about the music that you listen to. Typically, your mom isn't the one that always is like, hey, have you heard this new band or have you been listening to that? But but I'll tell you what, she was the one that really got my brother and I kind of hooked when we were little on music because we always listened to it in the car, um, going back and forth to the babysitter every day, 
you know, we'd listen to Brian Adams and Mr. Big and Richard Marks and Garth Brooks. And, and so it, I mean, it really kind of rounds your taste in music, right? Yeah. I mean, when was the last time? Hey, I really like listening to Richard Marks music, you know, <laughs> but if you go back time dude i'm guarantee you there were like all sorts of like 30 year old moms that loved richard marks back in the day you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> dude, that's wild that you know your parents cruised around and listened to music with you especially your mom you know um i mean when i was growing up it was talk radio all the time that's all i got to listen to and and oh. by by guess and by golly if there was radio uh it was like 60s and 50s tunes you know, I got to listen to a lot of Roy Orbison growing up and things like that, right. which, nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But uh, by the time I chose my own music, it was much different than that, uh, to say the least. So what's um, what's some of the music that that was influential and in, uh, in for you? Oh, like I, I grew up, like I said, listening to like the Roy Orbison and stuff. And then the first music I found that I kind of related to was like punk music, you know, so it was uh, around the 2000s, the big boom of the pop punk era and, you know, Warp Tour was huge. And so I was like, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go do this thing and love what everyone else is loving. And then, you know, the later you get in your teenage years, some people get angrier, angstier. So then someone was like, you should try out listening to like Megadeth and Anthrax and, and Metallica and Iron Maiden. And then I went that yep. direction and and now it's blues. I don't know what the deal is. It just keeps changing every year and more and more. Well, I mean, it's it's just one of those things like I think music in general connects with you on some level depending upon where your state of mind is. Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes you want to um, kind of chill out. Blues might be the thing. Um, when I want to chill out, I listen to Slipknot. It's so <laughs> But for whatever reason, inside that chaos, yeah, um, there is some sort of like, I don't know, some part of me that's like, you know what, this is kind of calming, yeah, and uh, um, it's just, I mean, it's good. So if so, we if we harken back to like your mom letting you listen to music in the car and things like that, was that what inspired you to play music, or did you like grow up and like start playing the trumpet, or did she say you got to take piano lessons when you're five, or how did this all, how did this all start? That's kind of like where I'm curious okay. now. Okay, so like in fifth grade, everybody was like, "Hey, we're you got to go into band, right? Everybody has to take band practice, like everybody and their brothers." So of course, I get a trumpet. I'm like, "What is this?" You know. I was like, I'd rather play like guitar or drums or something. And about a billion other people wanted to play the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting a trumpet because there was only like three trumpet players in the whole bunch. And I think it lasted maybe like two months and I couldn't handle it. I was like this, I can't do this. I just, it just, I don't know. It just didn't jive with me. Yeah. Um, and so around that same period of time, I had discovered a guitar in our house and it just listening to listening to Incubus and trying to play some of those parts is really where all of that started. Um, one of the most difficult songs I think that's out there to play right um, was done on an acoustic guitar and it's called Drive by Incubus. Everybody knows the song. Mm -hmm. Um and it, it uses a lot of different chord, um, voicing chords that 
to me are super difficult to play and it's even harder to play them right and then if you go out and try to perform it live and let's say that you're playing the song and singing it at the same time if you remotely screw up doing it everybody knows because everybody knows the song well so for me uh it was it was the guitarist from incubus mike eisinger who really inspired me to pick up a guitar and actually play something on it um it sounded completely like junk for like i don't know probably the first four years yeah um but the longer the longer i kept at it i noticed that the easier it got and then as soon as i got a different guitar that played much better I was like, oh, my God, what was I doing with the first one? Because yeah. <laughs> the action was just super high and play it, and it hurt my fingers. There was a reason why it did that. <laughs> and so you buy a new guitar. I'm like, it's like a $600 guitar. And I'm like, oh, my God, I should have did this so long ago. But I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a dad on that knew anything about playing guitars or any instruments. So they didn't know. So where did this but guitar come from I, then? Like, wh- whose was it originally? I think my I think my dad got it from something because it was like it was it was my dad's is what it was. And the action on it was like two inches high. And I mean, you had to have like spider fingers to try to play the damn thing. It was brutal. Um, it, the name of the guitar, I can remember it plain as day. It was called Ventura. OK. And I can tell you right now, see a guitar that has the word Ventura on it. You might as well throw the thing in the trash because it's junk. <laughs> like, straight up. It is trash. It's going to sound like a cardboard box and it's going to even play even worse. But the cool so thing... You just got to... Dude, I, I love talking about like old instruments or the first guitar you picked up. Because the first one I picked up was some no-name job that um, I want to say one of my uncles had put together when they were young. They like bought a kit or something and, and smashed this thing together. And it worked, but it's the same story as you. Acoustic guitar, like two-inch action, maybe 40-year-old strings. And I'm, and I'm learning on this thing. And about the time a string broke, I was like, well, what do we do here? I don't know what to do with any of this, you know? Then you know. Then I got my. Yeah. Then I got a guitar. My parents finally caved and bought me an electric. But those strings, man. Those strings. I'm telling you, those old junk strings. They get rusty. They stab you. Yeah. Next thing you know, you got to get tetanus shot. I mean, it's just <laughs> those guitars are trash. Oh, funny man. story about me and my first guitar, and really trying to like say, hey, I think I want to take lessons here. My art teacher from school could play guitar and. I mean, she could, I didn't know what I didn't know. So my mom takes me over to this gal's house and I knew her very well because her, uh, her youngest son was the same age as me. And, uh, she sat me down she was like, here, I'm going to show you these, uh, three chords and that's pretty much all you ever need. And so I was sitting there thinking, how in the hell do you play any of this incubus music if you're just using these three chords, <laughs> you know, she didn't even like have any sort of clue. I mean, it was like strum this 4-4 pattern and this is all you'll ever need in life and uh oh my god it was so bad i never went back actually oh man (laughs) um i completely decided to go a completely different other direction because at that time you were still able to go to um to a mall okay like kids today probably won't ever know what a mall is because these things don't work like they don't exist anymore yeah uh so i went to I was venturing through the mall one time and came into this bookstore 
and it legit had like tablature and all the music for incubus and i mean it had everything pantera like metallica and so i would buy these books and it was weird how accurate they were and they were like they were 100 percent accurate yeah um so i still have them they're in the other room i've got stacks of them <laughs> and i basically sit down and i would listen to that cd or i would listen to that particular song and like pick out those parts and just play along with them until i got the whole thing down and that's really how i learned um how to play a lot of music and to this day just like every other guitar player out there in the world um except for a few um i mean we can't read sheet music i mean we all know what tabs are Mm -hmm. and everybody else is like what do you how do you play it and i'm like oh and then you just show them and they're like oh but if you put a piece of sheet music in front of them be like what is this yeah throw it away i'm the the same way man i that's how i learned you know, and that's really crazy because just explaining that story, you can tell like about the time frame when you learned. It was probably like late '90s, early 2000s. That's my assumption. Yep. And because that was like when, like tabs were always a thing, but they weren't ever popular. And then they became popular b- via those books. And I mean, I recall those. You go into right. guitar stores, guitar center, magazine shops, like anything. Like they usually had some of those books. And I've got a handful upstairs. Like same thing. I you know minor punk kind of stuff but like i said i've got this i got some of those books upstairs and that's how people had to learn and that was before tabs on the internet were popular like you could google tabs and the, and you might find like a small passage of part of a song and it's like 70 percent correct you right. know and nowadays right. it's a little bit easier because it's like well this is obviously really close or you can look up like 30 different versions and mush them together to make a right one you know but like back then those books was pretty much all you had and they were ludicrously accurate Yep. Now, if had you and I been like, you know, 15 years older, you'd be like the guy that lives across the street from me, my neighbor. He's like, well, back in the day when we went to try to learn a song, we just had to sit there and try to play around with it and guess till we figured it out. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, no, that's how we did it. And I thought, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So now you just on to Google and you type in whatever you want and you find so many different versions of this stuff. And the first thing that I do every time, I immediately click on the song, and then I don't even look at it. I just immediately scroll down to the bottom and see how long and how bad the comments are <laughs> just to get a good what it might be. And then if there's, like, one comment that's, like, good song, bro, I'll be like, oh, so it must be okay, and I'll scroll to the top, and I'll be like, yeah. Then you play through it once, and you might have to change the key to fit your voice better or what have you but um you know that's just how we do things now mm-hmm. um unless it's an original song that you write and uh and that's even more difficult to try to upload your own music um onto these sites because i actually have tried to take music from my um from my daw because in reaper it actually you can do the tablature for it and then you can actually say hey guys if you if you like this song and you want to learn how to play it um here's the tabs for it. Here's the music. You can follow along and do it at home too. Cool. So it's just kind of another step uh, in some way, try to connect with your fans. Um, I was really trying to do it so that I could give something 
do my keyboard player and the other guy that's in my band who plays drums and maybe guitar. So then that way they could just find a way to play along with the music as well and know where I'm at. Yeah. And, uh, and if it works, it works. And sometimes it doesn't work. And, um, they usually let me know when it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've been in a handful of different bands and how they do things like that is always kind of intrigued me. Um, you know, like I said, I've been in a few bands, uh, all of the bands I've joined have been established. So like when I want to learn their music, it's like already written out. Sometimes they have like, well, here's the lyrics and here's chord changes above it. And the rest of it, just do whatever you want. And I've like also done stuff where people have extensively written out tabs and guitar pro, you know, and been like, this is what I want you to play this, uh, very, very exact thing. So I've, I've done them both. And it's kind of fun to see how bands write all their stuff down or cat, you know, catalog their material, um, I mean, as far as go for it, man. I mean, isn't it interesting how some bands like you have like two different types of bands. You've got like the band where like everybody is like super particular about how you play the music. And they're like, hey, we have to it, this is the way that it sounds on the album. And by God, this is exactly how we're going to play it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other bands. I should say that there's three kinds that I see. Then there's like the other guys that kind of. They don't take it as seriously, but they put their own touch on things. And then there's the other uh, bands that you see sometimes that, to me, um, completely take the song and completely change it around. And you may not even recognize it, you know. Um, the words may be the same, but but I do. I, I actually have to say that I'm guilty of that. I actually like to take um, songs uh, such as Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. Or um, there's some other little rap songs out there that you can take, convert them, and change them into like a bluesy jazz kind of um, ensemble. And you go out and play them live to people, and they're like, it takes them just a little bit to for it to register in their mind, and then they're like, oh man, that's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, other people, they don't think that it's really that cool, but uh, <laughs> you can always judge customer based on their facial expressions no matter how drunk they are or not dude i i love that too because you'll be you'll be sitting at a bar like listening to a band and they're in the corner and maybe you're having a conversation with your friend and some they're playing something and you're like eh, this sounds neat or whatever and then they like bust into the first words like show to get down and you're like oh i know this song like this is a rap song like so, so it you know, I could play you a little bit about the uh, No Diggity cover that I actually just did. And I actually completely took the song and kind of flipped it around and changed it a little bit. Um, and then I've also recorded a studio cover version of it. Cool. Where I actually added in, um, you know, drums and, and, and I'll have it up on YouTube and stuff like that. I've got actually got a, um, you go to YouTube and you type in Josh Wing Music. Um, you'll be able to see a cover of that actual No Diggity song um, that I did because I just posted it up maybe two weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things, like, it, it sometimes it blows people's mind. And speaking of that, we have a gig coming up on the 7th that's an online gig, and I hate to spoil this, and I'm sure people aren't going to watch this before that one, but we're going to open that show up with that actual cover so that'll be awesome man. That either, 
people these people have no idea what they're getting into or i mean because look at me you look at me on the camera <laughs> and you look and you just say well this dude he's some pasty white guy he's 35 big deal you know but what is he gonna do to surprise us mm-hmm. so, you <laughs> know what i do i try to make sure that everybody's satisfied but sometimes i come across as some straight laced white dude you know and then i start playing no diggity by black street and they're like what yeah. hold on that's a, fu- a it's such a fun head turner too they don't expect it you're playing like all along the watchtower and then all of a sudden it's just like boom here's a black street song <laughs> yeah you just start into the chord and they're like oh what's the song and the next thing you know you're like Show to get down, good lord. Nice. And they're like, wait a second. If anybody, this one. Dude, if anybody's intrigued by this, I'm going to put a link to Josh's YouTube channel in the description down below. So if you're intrigued, scroll down, click the link, check it out. Um, it's, it'll be on his YouTube channel. Uh, there's also going to be other links down below, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, I absolutely love the whole like covering tunes in a slightly different fashion. Um, there's some musicians up around this area that do a little bit of it. There's not too many. I can think of maybe two or three that like really kind of change stuff up. And it's just like, well, this is a, a folk song with a capo on seven. And then all of a sudden it's just like, you know, like you said, here comes Black Street or here comes, you know, Ice Ice Baby or something. And you're like, I have no clue this was yeah. coming out of here, but it did. And it's. But we're back, I hope. Yes. And I uh, hope everything's cool. Um, I kind of got distracted there, but I was trying to reconnect. Where were we at? Uh, you know what? I, I, f- I forget. Uh, I could rewind and check it out. I didn't, I didn't write it down. Um, but yeah, let's, let's discuss this. Let's, let's switch gears here. We were discussing uh, doing cover tunes and, and switching it up and playing rap songs. And, and uh, like... You are in a band, correct? It's called Open Interest Band. Does that sound right? Yep. Did, did I get it? We go by the open. <laughs> yep. And so is that? And then, and then I, I have my own deal here. Um, that I do. I do all my own um, original uh, work down here, where I, I'm actually sitting in my one room studio um, that I've got. Got uh, like 12, 12 rack unit here. You know, the room's outfitted so that I can actually do quality recording stuff down here. And I write my own tunes, play my own mini notes, you know, do the guitar, do the drums, do everything based here, you know, just right here in my own in my own room and in my own time. So, um, yeah, that's and, you know, I do some work for some people out on the side and and uh, but mainly for me, it's kind of one of those things where recording my own music um, it's more of a, I do it for myself kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I, I put it out into the world. I think, uh, I've got, uh, like 20,000 streams on one song that I put out. It's called the wolf and Dang. I've got about 5,000 others. So, I mean, you put this stuff out into the world and you know, I, I, it's tough trying to get your friends and family really to accept what you do. Um, because I think they just look at it as like, uh, oh, it's just something that they're doing to have fun and blah, 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 blah. You know, they don't really take it that seriously. Um, and then when you go out and actually play music out in the world, they're like, well, I didn't know that this was such a big deal. <laughs> and sometimes you surprise people, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes it's a surprise to people that are, like people that you work with and. They're like, hey, man, YouTube suggested that I listen to your music. 
And I thought this couldn't be the same Josh Wiggs. So I listened to it and it was you. That's was like, awesome. Well, That's awesome. That makes me wonder how invasive the algorithms are, but also like 20,000 streams on a song is insane. Like, um, for anybody, you know, just some Iowa Joe, you know, just making music and putting it out there. That's a lot of streams. Um, what do you, what do you use? I think go for it, man. Go ahead. Oh, (laughs) no, I was going to say, I I think like 19,000 of those views were probably my mom. (laughs) <laughs> go mom go mom moms are always supporting us no it's like what do you use to distribute your music like i've heard a lot of people go through a lot of different avenues um me and a couple of my bandmates and a couple of my bands have discussed different avenues that people take um do you use i'm assuming i'm just gonna just gonna guess is it distro kit or cd baby it's probably one of those two yep yeah you just i just basically created my own thing called air um, studios and then I just use DistroKid um, I upload all my stuff You've, you're probably really familiar with it and so is probably a billion other people Yeah. and how you we upload that and um, and then they you know get it you know distributed out into you know Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube like all these different platforms out there. I mean, I think they even take it around the globe mm-hmm. because one song last year that nobody listened to it, like in the U.S. But if you were if you were in China, it was like a big deal for a while. I mean, there'd be like five thousand streams on this thing in like six days. Oh wow, that's and crazy. Weird. I figured some supermarket somewhere it got caught on repeat and they were just playing it all the, every day. Because I'm like, nobody would pick this song that much to play it this much. Uh, I mean, not even me. <laughs> That's one reason I love musicians. Uh, we take ourselves seriously, but not too seriously. <laughs> right. So I mean, I, I like like the fact that people are listening to it. But I'm like, wait a second. Have you heard these other 30 songs that I did? Because they're way better. Yeah. <laughs> That's also like the weird thing about the artist is like you can create all these things. And the thing that everyone tags on to could be one of your least favorite things you've created. I mean, I'm sure it's no different for like yeah. artists who make like paintings and, and everything, you know. I'm sure it's the same. Yep. I wrote a song sitting out on the front porch of my neighbor's house like two years ago. I call it Iowa Summer. Super easy to play kind of just a laid back you know kind of summer end of summer song and i played it a couple times live and then like people started actually requesting it and it was probably one of the least favorite songs i like to actually play of my own and but you get people that are like hey could you play that iowa summer song and i'm like yeah okay and so i would play it and then it kind of just like took off into its own direction and i ended up actually um doing a full-blown studio version of it so cool and it turned out so that's awesome yeah man so as far as doing like solo tunes and band stuff do you split your time 50 50 between a full band and solo stuff or is it just kind of take the gigs as they come or do you guys play the same material or do you switch it up when you play solo or so I couldn't tell you the last time that I actually had a solo gig. It might have been last year. I mean, this whole year has just been terrible mm-hmm. um, for a lot of things. Um, but I think it was last year I played like one solo gig. There's just something, and this is going to kind of sound harsh, but there's only so much like a 
solo acoustic music that I can listen to before I'm like, okay, I need to hear drums. I need to have, you know, some sort of backing vocal um, with some of this stuff. So what I do is I will sit down here in my basement um, like a hermit that I am and I will create my own music. I'll put it into a studio version and I'll distribute that out into the world. Um, but then what I also do is I'll put it together and I'll present it to the other two guys that I play in the band with, and we'll actually incorporate that into a set list. And so as you're playing cover tunes, you're also adding in your, you know, your own originals, um, from time to time. And if I can work in five to 10 originals in a two hour set or something that that's decent exposure, um, to a new crowd, because there's always a lot of people in these small town bars that never heard any of your music. Mm-hmm. And so, if you can get them drawn in and captured by playing some, you know, some other tunes, cover tunes that they really know, and then throw an original tune at them, you know, and give them maybe a little bit of a story, not a whole lot, because people, in knowing your customer, you got you've got just like eight seconds to capture them or lose them. And so you've really got to like keep the ball rolling. And the one thing that I was always annoyed with when I would go out and watch other bands is between songs, they would literally have a five or eight minute, like in between song break where somebody would talk and they would tell them about the song they're going to play. And then they would play you a cover song that you already heard a thousand times. So instead of me going out there and telling people all about this and about the emotion and about where I come from, I try to leave it up to the audience because every song that I've ever heard, whoever wrote it, it doesn't mean the same thing to them as it means to me because we all can our live um, somehow to the emotion of that song and there's a lot of people that are like, man, I really connected with your song that you wrote, and I can um, I can relate to it. And then I'll ask them, you know, what does it mean to you? And they're like, well, what does it mean to you? And our versions may be completely different. So I really like to give somebody an original tune and then let them decide how does that connect with their life. Yeah, that makes total and, sense too. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, to me, I'm not trying to tell you exactly, hey, this is what I was thinking when I wrote this, and, and this is how I did it. I'm, sh- um, I'm sure there's because, some like art to that, too, as far as writing the song and not being so explicit about every single thing that's happening in the song. Because, I mean, you can't just be like, I dated a girl, we, we didn't get along, she she dumped me, I'm sad. Like, that's too that's too direct, you know? Right. You know, Because then it doesn't leave any interpretation right. to the audience. So... Um, I would say that I've been, I've been writing my own music for the last, I don't know, three, four years, like really specifically, um, making a dedicated effort to write better music. And I can tell you that the first, um, the first full album that I actually did was 18 songs long. And I like to call that, um, basically purging the septic tank of, all the emotions that are in your head, because once you get all of those out um, and there's nothing else, the, the, the tanks is empty. Okay. You've said what you needed to say. 
that's when you can really take a step back and start writing actual legitimate music that may, I don't know what you want to call it. It, it may actually connect with more people mm-hmm. because you're, because now you're not, now it's not really emotionally driven, but you can actually make things more specific to what does this song mean? Like serving the song. And uh, to me, it took a little while to drain the tank. So then I could start focusing my mind more on, hey, I've, I've heard these keywords. Today I've seen something. And this is how it all starts with me. I've seen a quote today and just one line in it really struck me. And the first thing I did was I grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil and I wrote down the piece that really stuck out to me. And it was called distracted from the sadness. I don't know what, what about that kind of thing made sense to me or why it clicked or why it stuck, but I wrote it down. So we'll see what comes out of that. Yeah. Um, Maybe you can harness some of that stuff and uh, turn it into a song, I guess. Um, But more and more lately, I've I've been writing songs freely, just seeing where things go. And then once I get something done, I'll play the song from end to beginning. And then I may cut it up and play it in reverse or forward or however it may be. Because the more times you play it, the more times you move stuff around, the better you can make make a song. Yeah. So dude, I a hundred percent agree with your like purge the septic tank analogy. Um, <laughs> let me just, let me just put it this way. Like I, I play music. I'm a quote unquote musician. I'm not a songwriter. I'm bad at it. I don't like doing it, but some of that is the fact that I never once purged my septic tank. Everything I write sounds like doo-doo to me yeah. and I need to, and I need to get that out there and get rid of it so I can start with something new. Yeah. Because I'm sure every guitarist has this. Uh, we've all gone through like the same tired. It's like, oh, I found this riff. I, I made it. It sounds cool. I'm going to play it 700 times at soundcheck. Never write a song about, you know, I'm just going to like, every time I have a free second, I'm just going to play it. And every, all my buddies are going to know this because I play it 4,000 times over and over and over again. Turn it into a song. Get it out of your head. Get it gone. Start something fresh. That is such a good thing that you you said there. As, as weird as it sounds, I was never once like, I was like, ah, I don't really want to record my own music. I'm not good at it. People won't like it. I have this little, you know, I have a little bit of a self-confidence issue when it comes to that. But recently I started recording some of that and it is exactly what you're saying. I'm taking some of these riffs that I just play over and over again in my basement for no reason and putting them in an order. And now they have like a purpose and they might not be the best, but they're out of my head and they're somewhere now. And yeah. I can start with something yep. fresh. I mean, it's almost like cleaning yeah. the slate off. Yeah, you have to do that from time to time. It's, yep. it's brilliant. Hey, I love the analogy, man. I've had um, I've had this um, I've had this deal stuck in my head. It's like a, the beginning of a chorus, and it sounds kind of like an early two thousands like kind of punk chorus line that it should be. But for whatever reason, I have failed to be able to put anything else together with it, and it's been driving me nuts lately. <laughs> and the other thing, weird is that the way that it sounds in my head, I don't think I can actually even sing it. I might have to have somebody else try to to really actually get it done because the way that I hear it and the way that it should be, I don't even, I, I just don't think I can get it accomplished. But it's one of those things where it's like, it keeps weighing on my mind about what this chorus line or this hook is going to be. And um, yeah, 
I know it starts in A. I have no <laughs> idea where it goes there, but but I figured that out the other day because I was messing around with it because I was like, I've got to get this wrote down on paper and record it on my phone just so that I can just move on. But I have never been able to figure out where it goes from there. So, Dude, that's something too. Writing things down on paper is uh, very important. You will lose that muse uh, as fast as as fast as you gained it. I mean, I can't think of the amount of times I've driven home from Des Moines and been like, dude, this is a great idea for the, just a basic concept of a song, like this situation yep. or this something. And then I get home and it's only a two hour drive and I have nothing else to think about. And I get home and I already forgot it. And it's, it's like, I should have pulled over and you written have- it down. Here's a, okay. So I, I was watching a Steve Vai, um, YouTube clip once. And I was intrigued by the fact that he had on his bed, this zoom, like just simple zoom, like recorder. And he literally said every time before I sit down and practice or play anything, I take this out. I set it down right here and I click record. And it may be five minutes, it may be two hours, but if he ever needs to go back in time and say, hey, I can't remember what that was, but it was really catchy, mm-hmm. he, can just rewind it. he can just rewind it and go play it. And so that's what I started doing because there's no worse feeling than creating some sort of hook and it's nine o'clock at night and you're dead tired and the next day you wake up and you're like, Oh man, that was a great hook. And then at the end of the day, you go back and try to play it again. And guess what? You can't remember really how it goes. Yeah. So always just taking that out and pressing record, record the record your practice session, record what you might play because you'll be amazed at what kind of comes out of those things. Um, recently, that's what we started doing when we practice upstairs in my living room. I'll record some of the songs just so I can go back through and listen and say what worked here and what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And usually, I mean, usually it shows you um, either you've got a lot to practice um, or you're just never going to play that song again because it wasn't as good as you thought it was. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy so. you brought up Steve Vai when you talked about, um, you know, writing down all your material or something, because I was watching a video of Steve Vai discussing the same topic. And he said that's how he came up with the song for the love of God. Um, it was a song that I mean, it's one of his most popular, like first songs that became sort of popular that he wrote. And he said the uh, original tagline for that, the, you know, like that thing was something he actually like was, he thought of in his head and didn't have a guitar and he sang it into a recorder and he like the so version. He could remember done it too. Yeah. Like, straight up. Yeah. And so he you just sang it into there. Cause he was like, yeah, if I can sing it close enough, I can pull it off on a guitar later. And that's what he did. And he actually said that like, when he sat down to write his first album, he was like, I, I sang this into a recorder in like high school or something and, and pulled it out and put it on his first album. That's, you never know when something's going to come back and be like, this was actually one of your better things. And it's a good thing you wrote it down or, or recorded it. Or, um, another thing that kind of got me into that was the digital age. Everyone started, uh, having digital recording studios. And it was like, well, if this is digital. We don't need 8,000 reels of tape laying around and have somebody like feeding them in and out and always recording. And we don't have to have an engineer sitting there making sure all this happens. We just have to have somebody hit record on, on the computer and then we just go in the other room and play for six hours. 
Right. You know, so yep. a little bit easier to keep track of all that stuff nowadays than it ever was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's like, there's probably, I don't know. I've probably got like 5,000 different files in my computer that, <laughs> I mean, there's like so much stuff in that thing. Um, because every track gets a name, like it doesn't matter if it's an acoustic track, like it's an acoustic track number three. I mean, it's all labeled and it's all filed away into the, from the DAW into an actual backup and the whole thing. And there's a lot of stuff where, um, it's like you create something just really quick and you may not have the whole thing. You may have 20 seconds of it. But you'll actually at least be able to go back and search through some of that stuff if you file it correctly mm-hmm. and say, what was this? Because you may be able to use that as a sample or a fill for something later down the road. And you just never you just never know how it's going to go. Yeah. I, you know, the recent passing of Eddie Van Halen, I watched uh, him. He gave a tour of his studio that he had made. And that was something that he had was... They recorded everything and, and cataloged it all on and like in oh, it was on analog, but they cataloged all of the stuff on a database that was no longer used and computers don't use it anymore. So like unfortunately in somewhere in the early two thousands, he lost all of his catalog he has he still has it all on uh reel to reel tapes, but he doesn't have any of it titled or cataloged anymore. He doesn't know what it is. Some of the stuff just doesn't have titles on it, it only has numbers and letters and he doesn't know what any of it I mean, he's dead now, so it's a sad deal, I get it. But like Who's going to go, end up yeah. going through that and trying to find what that stuff was? Or I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. that's the other thing when it's like, well, how did Eddie die? And they came out with another new 20 songs. It's like, well, that's because he recorded every single thing he ever did, you know? And Right. It's kind of it's kind of like if you go back in time and look at like all the songs that uh, Michael Jackson had to pick from. Mm-hmm. Um, for every like one or two, he would have sampled like 300 or something. <laughs> You know, so so every music producer out there in the world, you know, doesn't have all their stuff on display. I mean, they may have a catalog. Like I, I actually have started a catalog of my own songs. They're, you know, they're all copyrighted. They've all got their own backups. They've got all their own masters. I've got everything wrote down, even in a book on paper, which is completely probably archaic. But um, every setting. This is how I got this particular sound. This is the compressor that I used. You know, all the tech specs, all that stuff. This is the guitar that I use. This is the amp simulator, or I actually used a um, my own amp and mic'd it, and here's how I did it. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that are creating, that are that are just basically filing this stuff away, um, and then they're hoping that they can sell that stuff and you know have an actual recording artist that might pick it up and and use it in a studio i know that happens a lot down in nashville so yeah yeah i mean that's not uncommon actually uh speaking of other people playing your tunes have you ever had anyone cover one of your tunes before like maybe a local artist or or one of your buddies or something um i can't actually say that i ever have oh man i i i just never have now i have done it to somebody else nice um because i because I thought, you know, I really like this song, and if I could change a couple pieces, I think it would even make it better. And um, so I, I, I did it, and he didn't show up to the gig to listen to it, so it kind of just went away. And 
now that you've said that, now I'm I'm going to have to try to make it a point to figure out how to get him there so then I can play his song to him again and uh, see what kind of reaction I can get out of him. I th- I've been like kind of pushing that towards people. I've been meeting a lot of singer-songwriters around Iowa, and I think it'd be fun if some of you guys covered some of each other's songs. And I mean, you've c- already cataloged everything and written it down. you got lyrics, I'm sure, chords, the whole nine yards. It wouldn't be too hard for you to give the bare bones of, of your song to somebody else and be like, right. this is how I play it. Give it your own whatever, and we'll see what you come up with. You know? Yeah. Now, one of the things about the music that I write um, I mean, not everybody, I guess, I guess I should kind of back up here when choosing songs to pick, to play, we really have to focus more on if you're not going to change the whole structure of the song, when you cover tunes, it's really important to pick songs that fit your voice in that vocal range. <laughs> and so you're not going to see me going and trying to sing some journey or Sebastian Bach, some crazy shit like that. Um, I do have a mid to kind of high voice, um, but then you get some of those other singers that are, you know, professional, professional, that are just crazy. Um, and I don't really have um, a traditional, what would be a traditional country voice, you know, because I think every voice that you hear on the radio right now, it's kind of has. I mean, some people come to mind where they have a distinct voice, like everybody knows who Luke Combs is right now. Yeah. You know, that's that big kind of powerful country voice. You don't see him singing any journey either, do you? No. no. (laughs) I mean, although I think he probably sings it in the shower every once in a while, but you don't see him on stage, Um, you know, but I think to your point, it would actually be fun to find some people who uh, have wrote some original tunes out there locally and just start um, razzing them with a bunch of their covers and say, hey, man, this is I took your song and um, I've got it copyrighted now because I've created it this way. So, yeah, you know, it's just one of those deals that fun to it'd be fun to do some of that. I don't really know. Maybe you could maybe you could hook me up with some some of the folks uh, in the state of Iowa because down here in southwest Iowa, um, really original artists are very hard to come by. I mean, there's really only like one guy that I know of around here that really writes any of his original tunes and it's been years since he's done it. Man. So, you know, I, from Des Moines and East, I think there's a little bit more, I think there's, if you look at some of these Facebook groups, like where people are actually doing stuff in bands, if you go from Des Moines East, it seems like there's a hell of a lot more people playing music than over on than down here in the corner of my state yeah um i would definitely have to concur with that 100 percent. like it seems like everyone on the west side of the state goes to omaha and that's that's it and everyone on the east side of the state oh. it's like des moines iowa omaha. city Ottumwa, i mean quad cities there's it's like every big city has a little mini scene around it already um northern iowa and fort dodge the scene up there has been getting bigger even you know so it's kind of that's and that's the area where i'm at um but I mean, it, so what, what, what kind of music do they like in that area? I mean, uh, up I mean, in, they... up in Northern Iowa, man, you'd fit in great, uh, acoustic kind of stuff, folk ish kind of stuff, singer songwriter things. Um, in Fort Dodge, I, I, I'm not going to say there is, but in Fort Dodge, almost every single night of the week, there is live music somewhere. 
Um, wow. Yeah. I That's mean, it's good. It's getting big. It's to the point where, you know, Thursday nights or Tuesday nights, there's jam nights in a town just outside of Fort Dodge. Wednesday night, there's a show at a, at a local pub and grub kind of place. There's also Thursday nights at another place. There's almost always Friday, Saturday night shows. Um, you know, it's it's getting kind of busy up here. I mean, you'd probably do pretty well up here if I mean it'd be a long jaunt for you to get up here, on, unfortunately. But you know, people would well, probably I'd, enjoy your tunes this way. All you got to do is set the cruise on a hundred, and you get everywhere. <laughs> like that's all you got to do. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, you know, and that's yeah, you set the cruise, hop in the back seat, mix you a drink, you know. It's all <laughs> hop good. In the back seat. It's, it's cruise control, <laughs> not autopilot. <laughs> uh, 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 and, and you're not shy about funny. playing shows, though. Uh, we were discussing before we did the podcast, uh, 2018, you were doing about 40 shows. You know, 2019 was close to 40 shows that year, yeah. too, as well. I mean, you're you're doing a show almost every single week. Yeah, I mean, there for up until this year, yeah. dude, like it was brutal because we canceled 17 gigs in the spring. Like, just one right another after another after another after another. And uh, I mean, it was one of those things where it just sucked. Like every every week people were like, well, we're going to be not doing this. But like in years prior to that, okay, so like, 2018 i mean we played if somebody wanted us to come play and this is at the point in time where we were just like yeah we'll just play whatever gig and our our going rate was like a hundred dollars a person for like three hours we're like yeah we'll just play it Mm -hmm. because we were just more about getting out and playing music Mm -hmm. and i think it wasn't until like probably mid 2019 where i really started thinking about um okay we have all these gigs booked they're at bars they're at like wine like wine bars on sunday afternoons they are you know all these different places and it really started when we would go and play these gigs like you would quickly figure out where you should come back and play and where you shouldn't go back and play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like anybody who is like in tune with business at all. Um, one of the key things is always knowing your customer. Okay. So not only do you have to know who the, who the owner is, um, but you have to know what kind of clientele they bring in. Like, is this an, is this a two o'clock to five o'clock gig on a Sunday afternoon? For the 56-year-old people that are going to come out and enjoy two glasses of wine and some cheese, and then they're going to leave, like you can't just go in there and just start jamming songs in a place like that. Um, and lo and behold, I tried. Yeah. Because I didn't know what I didn't know. I just thought everybody wanted to have fun and party, right? Yeah. Well, I quickly learned that knowing your customer and knowing your audience are like massive things that you have to do. Yeah. And so that really changed the face of how I would go about booking gigs because you would still have people that would contact you and say, Hey man, you want to come and play, play this deal. Um, and I would just flat out say, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I know who your customer is and I know that I don't play music that will, entertain them yeah and i i'm not a i don't want to turn down money but 
the thing about it is I'm like, I'm not, we're not the people that you should have come and play, but I know who should be there mm-hmm. because there's, as you get to know your local area, you know, who's, who's playing music and who would fit in best. Yep. And maybe I think there's a lot of times where like down in my area, yeah, there's a lot of different bands that play and, but there's a lot of bands in my area where I, I feel like instead of us supporting one another, everybody's like, well, I think, I think this guy's better than me or, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to go watch them or support them because they play music that I don't like or whatever. And it's to me, if I know that there is a place to go play and I know that it's not my kind of music, like my kind of audience or someplace that I need to play, I know that there's probably like 10 different bands around here. There's at least one of them that I know that I could help get into that spot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I try to do my best to keep that in mind as well. Um, when you're trying to figure out places to go play or people are asking who's, you know, doing what, and then you got to know who the other bands are around your area. So, yeah. Um, it's, and it took me, I can, I can tell you hands down, I have gone and seen all these local, all these local bands here. And there isn't a single one of these guys. And I know this, if they see this, they're going to be like, well, I don't know. I think he might be, um, I think he might be a little harsh here, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I've gone and played multiple gigs. And I've also gone and watched a lot of the other folk artists because I wanted to know who was playing what but they don't come to our gigs now either it's because they're older and they play more traditional music that is from the 50s and 60s and 70s um or maybe they just simply don't like me i don't know i guess you'll have to be the judge (laughs) no man i I totally get that too though because like i play in a punk band and uh it's like pulling teeth trying to get somebody to come to a punk show like and i get it trust me Trust me, like I, I 100% understand where people are coming from when they're like, I'm not a big fan of punk music, but like I said up here in northern Iowa, there's a huge scene of of country and folk and things in that area where it's guys sitting down with acoustic guitars and, and cajones and bass guitars and things of that nature, and those guys don't want to see punk music. And I'm more than happy to go to their shows, but they don't want to go to mine, and I, I just let it go because it's like, yeah. hey, I get it. You know, getting yelled at for an hour straight with fast drums is not <laughs> your thing. Like, I get it. You know, but it's, it's also one of those things, like you said, I, you got to know your clientele and know where you're going. And it's like, yeah, you guys aren't going to come to some bar in Des Moines to watch me play, uh, at 1130 at night on a Saturday. I understand that because nobody wants to drive home after that, et cetera, et cetera. But it also helps to know your clientele. Like we've been asked to play, um, what I can only describe as a family picnic, uh, it's like a a big family picnic, and it's like, well, we're a punk band that says very abrasive things um, on stage. If if yeah. you're paying really close attention, and we had to just tell them like, <laughs> I don't think this is gonna work, buddy. And they were like, why not? And it's like, ah, you didn't listen to any of the lyrics, did you? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring us there and say this stuff in front of people. You know, <laughs> like I'll oh, leave that for the Saturday night bar crowds in Des Moines. But yeah, you yeah. you have to know your clientele. You're 100 percent correct. Here's another thing that that is that's a message to all the people that own bars and places, live music venues. Uh, the people that are booking these gigs also have to do their due diligence. Yeah. Because I have ran 
to multiple amounts of people who have no idea what kind of music we may even play. They've never come to a gig. You'll give them YouTube links. You'll give them this. You'll give them that because they request it. And then they fail to listen to any of it. And then they book you to be the opener for a guy who's going to sit there and strum an acoustic guitar and play every Garth Brooks and George Strait song that you've ever heard, like ever heard in your life. Mm-hmm. And you come in there and you're playing cover tunes from Lady Gaga to, um, you know, Brian Adams. And they're like, well, I didn't expect this from you guys. And I'm like, well, you never, you obviously never listened to any of our music or ever came to any of our gigs. You know? Like, it also falls back on them who are booking that gig too, you know, like it'd be kind of like you guys playing punk music and you're like, Hey, we want to have you guys come open. But the guy that's playing after you, he is an R and B singer. <laughs> and so, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It doesn't like, fit. Uh, sometimes so, it, sometimes it can, you can, you can totally mishmash, a. You know, like you said, like, oh, we got a metal band, a punk band, there's a folk dude. I mean, sometimes stuff like that can work. A lot of times there's not a lot of audience retention, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, right. but you know, it. I totally get what you're saying. There's a lot of things like that that happen with, um, especially being in a punk band that plays, like, we play very fast metal-style drums. There's fast solos. It's not typical punk music. So we get booked with, like, met- metal bands sometimes. But they're like even more intricate than us. So it's like we're on the low end of that spectrum. But when we play with strictly punk bands, it's like, dude, you're the only band that ripped a solo tonight and you did it every song, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, we sometimes, (laughs) you know, and sometimes, sometimes it's like you, you've created something that's like, well, this isn't something that everyone else is doing, though. So it might be kind of hard for you to fit in somewhere. Because like we said, there's not very many people that will go from like Blackstreet to Lady Gaga to maybe throwing in a country tune. We got a Bob Dylan song, you know, and then we're coming back with Lady Gaga. And, and, you know, you just start throwing in all these oddities. And it's like, you might be one of the only people doing things like that. There's not too many people playing that wide of a birth of music. Um, like I said, so, I only know a couple within the state at all that are doing things like that. So we'll play um, like Mary Jane's Last Dance. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be followed up by like a rap song that I converted that's I got $20 in my pocket. Oh, know, yeah. That, yep. We play a version of that that I completely redid and composed to make it actually work right. Mm-hmm. The odd thing is, is that it, it works. Um. I think it. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than it's kind of a hybrid set list of songs, and it's mainly put together based on beats per minute, um, the key of the song, and then also the the set list is composed mainly based like if you just picture in your mind a roller coaster ride. You got the you got the highs and the lows and everything in between. So, and then you sprinkle in an original here or there and, and a cover tune and then something that's completely off the wall. Um, and it really just kind of rounds out the set list and people have fun. Yeah. And the way that I know people have fun is that they're up dancing. They're of all different ages. Um, they're having a good time. They're um, obviously spending a lot of money at the bar. And that's what we got to have in order to get paid. That is true. 
Oh, man, that's something that a lot of people don't ever think too much about when they book a show. They're like, dude, we played a show. The place was full. We didn't get paid much. And it's like, well, that's because nobody drank or, you know, you brought people in, but they, what they didn't bring in payable business, you know, and that's a tough one that bands have to, you know, that's a thing that bands have to think about, too. There's so many bands that are, oh, the music scene's dead. Nobody comes and supports us, et cetera, et cetera. But you kind of have to draw, be able to draw some people, you know? Um, and it's, it's that, it's the, probably the worst thing to talk about to musicians is like, well, if you're not a draw, then it's unfortunate, but like, you might just be stuck at an opener as an opener for the rest of your time. And I mean, I've seen that at like battle the bands too, where it's like, oh, we don't like these guys, blah, blah, this, that, and the other. It's like, yeah, but they brought a billion people, you know? I mean, if people like, if other people like them, it really doesn't matter what you think, you know? (laughs) Because if, if they're bringing in money, that's what matters, you know? And that's what matters to, um, I mean, it, it matters at the end of the day. I mean, the money is going to dictate a lot of different things. Um, and the draw that the, that the people actually come in, I mean, it, it doesn't lie. Like the first place that we went and opened for, it was a gig back in August of 2019. And I mean, the place is packed. They sold the place out. It was 350 people and it was one of those things that like for me i am very much i would very much rather stick you know stay to myself and i'm very much okay being alone and that's why my studio is called Ermeda studios um that translates in latin to um hermit because when i'm down here i'm just like on my own but but i'm very much a people person when it comes to having to be one Mm-hmm. And I get along well with others. And so for me, um, when we went and played that gig and there was, you know, 350 people in this place, to me, it wasn't really a big deal. Um, but for the other two guys, I mean, they were just the the look on their face was kind of a deer in the headlights at first, but they loosened up after a little while mm-hmm. and had fun with it. Um, I think I think some of the stuff that I did in the past with me having to be in the public eye um, really, I've, once you, once you really like gone and done some things, um, where you've had to put yourself out there, it, you kind of get those butterflies out and, uh, then it doesn't matter if it's a crowd of three or it's a crowd of 350. I mean, it's pretty much the same deal, but you got to remember that if you screw up, you don't make a big deal out of it because 98% of the time, nobody ever notices. Nope. No, you just gotta <laughs> the only people that will notice is usually the musicians yeah. <laughs> standing in the corner of the room. You know, some other yeah. musician might be like, uh, did you miss a fill? And they just kind of give you that like squinty eyed look like, Whoa, what was that? And you just kind of give them the wink and the point like, yeah, you got it, buddy. <laughs> I always, I always use the excuse when I play a wrong note on the guitar that I was playing a jazz chord. Yeah. yeah. It's jazzy. As jazz guitar players play like a billion notes and nobody understands any of them and you're like i was just like hey it was jazz man this <laughs> I, happened i actually found a, a thing for like people who give guitar lessons on ways to not um ways to speak positively to your students and that was one of them was uh man you are excelling at jazz right now instead of <laughs> instead of you're playing a wrong note so like i thought i always thought that was pretty funny um You do actually have that show coming up. We mentioned it earlier. I did want to reiterate it. Uh, It was the 7th. The 7th is your show. Do you say that was online only? Yeah, it's a... um, Okay, so these these folks in Omaha, they 
they have a home. I it looks to me like it's a full on like home recording studio in their basement, mm-hmm. and that's what they're doing. In fact, I've let like forty other people kind of go in front of me because you don't really want to be the first one in the gate when they're trying to figure stuff out because. Mm-hmm. When when you're trying to really do something, you kind of got to let a few people go through the gate and then they get all their quirks worked out. And then so they were looking for people to come play. And I just never, ever thought that I was worthy enough to go do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And but one of the guys who I met from Omaha, he does a lot of different videos and pictures and stuff. He actually messaged me and he was like, hey, they're looking for they're looking for a band to go do you know, go do this. And, uh, somebody knew somebody who they haven't had in there once or twice already. And I had completely forgot about it. And then, uh, so I reached out to them and they're like, yeah, what, what day do you want? And they were like trying to get us to book it. This was on like a Friday afternoon and they were trying to book us for like a Wednesday night, like the very next Wednesday. I was like, wait a second. You know, we haven't really been we haven't been really practicing or rehearsing because we don't have any gigs really coming up for the longest time, but we have this Halloween gig just this last Saturday. And so we really got back into the mode of all of us practicing individually and then coming together on either Tuesday or Thursday and really having a full on rehearsal of here's the songs that we know that we need to play. And, you know, you just kind of got to, you, you practice when, um, so what we're doing is we're going out to this place. It's in Westo. It's in this, uh, really nice house. They've got the whole, the full basement is kind of like my house, um, kitchen bar, like this whole thing, recording studio. And it's all an online gig. Um, I'll have a link on our band page. As soon as I get it, I actually asked them for it today because I thought, Hey, I don't have the address where I'm supposed to drive. And I don't want to go into West Omaha, uh, like, an hour before our gig and not know where I'm going Mm -hmm. and uh, because then I'm just lost and it's not going to work. And then the other thing is people have to know where to go to view the thing, right? Yep. Yep. So I don't know if they're creating an individual link or if it's on a website or what the deal is, um, with how to get people, you know, directed to that. But the, I would say that we're in crunch time right now. Yeah. So I need that. Um, so I can get people, funneled that direction by saturday night so they can actually go watch it um it's called live from mars uh the the gal's name is mars booth real nice gal her and her husband are are musicians um and so is their son they uh they really do a lot of stuff for the omaha musicians i mean hands down they do this stuff free of charge for the musicians it's sponsored by the reader the old market um, I think Live from Mars sponsors it, and um, there's just a lot of stuff that they do for the local Omaha musicians that that nobody else is doing. Um, and I know that I'm down here in Southwest Iowa, and I kind of get up into Council Bluffs in Omaha every once in a while to play. Um, so I do appreciate the fact that they're doing that for people and just you know trying to get trying to get some of these musicians out, get them heard. And they really do have a good following. I mean, some of these videos, you look at their YouTube uh, videos and stuff, they've got 5,000, 7,500 views. I mean, so it's not like they're not getting, you know, it's, I mean, it's a deal. People mm-hmm. are looking at it. That's cool. And so, 
Um, so the guys and I, Matt, Greg, and I are going to go up uh, Saturday night. We're going to play at 7 p.m. Central Time. And we have got about an hour and 15 minutes worth of songs that are kind of specific. And if you wa- if you tune in and watch it, you'll see kind of how the hybrid set list of mine is put together. Um, because it's going to take you on some sort of joyride. And it's unique. It's original. And I like to explain the music that we play to people as... Um, there's songs that you have heard, there's songs that you haven't heard, and there's songs that you forgot you heard. Hmm. So you will, I mean, that's just part of how music is though, right? Yeah. Some songs that you know, there's some songs that you don't know, and there's some songs you forgot you knew. Mm -hmm. That is kind of how I want to try to capture the audience better. Yeah. Um, you can bring them back to a point in time where... They were like, hey, I remember when the song came out. I can tell you exactly where I was at and what it means to me. So by kind of incorporating those three pieces of that into the set, um, it really it's, it sells the music better. And then also, um, you know, playing that music with emotion and not just going through the motion of it. That also helps sell that to um, the audience better. Yeah. And I think of in the music that I've been watching, I watch a lot of people go through the motions, and I don't know if it's because they've just stuck to a certain set list for so long that they've just fallen out of love with all the music that they play, or what. But for me, I play music that um, I can relate to, and that actually, you know, I can play with some pizzazz, some emotion, yeah. and hopefully it connects better with the audience. Yeah, hundred percent. That show is uh, that show's coming up this Saturday. It will be this episode was coming out on Thursday, so that's just in a few days. If you're listening to this the day it came out, so uh, check that show out Saturday. There will be a link down below to Josh's Facebook. Uh, that way, if you guys are like, well, I don't know where to find this link, well, just scroll down there to the band page, click on the link. He'll be sharing it, I'm sure. Yeah. So, um, Definitely. The ways one of the things that I keep up on is um, I do put everything on our um, on our Facebook page. It's called at Open Interest Band, and I I do that because um, Matt and Greg also use that specific Facebook page. Know when they have to go play gigs because there's a lot of times where they don't write stuff down, <laughs> and so hey, I got to go check out the events because Wig always puts them on there. Mm-hmm. So what do we coming or what do we not have upcoming or you know, you got to, so they just keep up with it on there and it's a great place for people to just, I don't, I don't really do a whole bunch with that page. I might throw something up every once in a while. I try to keep people informed, but I always just use it as like an events tab. I know there's so much more I can do with it, mm-hmm. but, um, I just haven't dedicated the time to really, you know, put, put much out there. Yeah. Um, so I always do the events, though. I always put them out there because it's a great reminder of where we're at, and, uh, and you can always follow the band there. I, the one thing that I'd really like to do is cross that. Excuse me, it's cross that threshold of maybe getting like 700, 800, a thousand people to follow the page. I mean, I think we're sitting at like six hundred and something, and I actually have no idea who. I don't know six hundred people. To tell you the truth, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I might know a handful, but uh, but it's um, 
one of those things like when you look at your Facebook page and you're like, damn, we actually have like 619 people that like this thing. Oh, oh man. My God. Yeah, it's pretty wild. You know? I, I do like looking at that so, kind of stuff. It's pretty fun to see that there's like, I don't even know any of these people and they like my stuff. So that's pretty neat. Rock yeah. and roll. <laughs> the one thing that, you know, you said earlier that you, that you have some self-confidence issues sometimes with some of your music and stuff like that. Um, I had to get over that fact that kind of the, the people that are in my life that I think would be the biggest supporters and like the people that would be like, Oh yeah, man, that sounds great. They're not actually your biggest supporters. Your biggest supporter is somebody out there in the world somewhere that is just venturing through YouTube and finds your video and connects with it on some level and leaves you a comment. Mm -hmm. Those are your biggest supporters. Like, you don't have to go and try to sell it to your wife or your girlfriend or your mom or your dad or whoever. I mean, they're going to support you, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's good or bad, but you really need to try to go capture that audience that's out there, you know, that uh, doesn't know who you are. Yes. And that's really making that connection between the actual artist and an actual person that's going to listen to your music. Yeah, it's like an organic response. It's not just somebody who has the canned, like, that was great every single time, you know. And I get it. Like, as as rough as it is, that was the first piece of advice I got from somebody when I went back to playing music live. Because I I played in high school, and then I quit for a while, and then I started back up in my late 20s. And somebody said, don't ever expect your friends to support you. Um, cause they're going to, but if you're always like, you have to buy every album and every shirt and be at every show, you're just going to be sad when they're not there. And it's, they're not actually the fans. Like you said, they're not actually the fans you really want. You want those people that have those organic fans. They were like, I came here to see a different band. And then I saw you and was like, Oh, this is awesome. This is really cool. Actually. You know, I was pleasantly surprised by what this was like. Exactly. That's, that's those are the people that you really want to go out and meet. And uh, and really capture because they are exactly like you say, yeah. Um, they're organic, and uh, you know if I just had, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. If I had ten cents for every single person that I know that always asks me, "Where are you guys playing this weekend?" and then they never show up, yeah. I would have been pay my car off a long time ago. Dude. <laughs> so, oh man, sure. yeah. That is that's a hundred percent for sure. I I mean I'm sure everyone's gone through this plight that you and I are describing um, at least once in their musical endeavors. It's it's not uncommon. Um, it's just the thing that happens. You no, know, it and it, it's also one of those. Here's a weird phenomenon that I've always thought was crazy. Like you'll know people, and you'll like really know people. Like you've worked with them for five years, or or you've been around them for fifteen years. And they finally muster up the courage to, like, come over and watch a show just because, for whatever reason, like, they wanted to see what it was about. And they leave, like, pleasantly surprised, right? And they're like, I just never knew this. I never you could do that. You know, like, and you're like, okay, so now, like, okay, I've proved to you that, hey, we're decent or we're good. And, um... And that's like that's really cool to finally kind of get that surprise on people. Yeah. And the better thing is if you can turn that person into a repeat customer because they really know who you are, if they can bring a group of their friends or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then you kind of that you make that passage or that bridge of somebody saying, Hey, I know this guy personally and I know his music now too. 
and you guys should come and listen to it. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a whole nother different subject to get into, but trying to get networked with people to come and come to your gigs, but they also have to be patrons of the place that you play at so that they can have money to pay the, you know, the artists and, and this whole thing. It, it's such a big circle. It is. It's a know? weirdly big circle. Oh man. It all has to go. for it. So, but the Omaha, the Omaha area, dude, is um it's tough to go play music up there because you got people up there paying for like like it might be a place that brings in 300 people and they'll pay a five-piece band like 300 bucks for three hours yeah Uh, or they'll pay some single act guy 50 bucks and he's up there for two hours Mm -hmm. or or you got some guy that completely comes in and just is like well i'll just play for two drink tickets you know and i'm like (laughs) Okay, so I've got this long list of places that I don't go and even try to play at, or if they message me, I don't try to do anything because, one, they don't pay, and my equipment actually costs money, and so does my time practicing. I mean, there's so much stuff that goes into it. I can't just drive an hour there and be like, well, I'm glad I got my uh, free drink tickets. Yeah, yeah. So I'm. Let me put it this way. I, I'm not... <laughs> Uh, I you are you know I'll play shows. <laughs> You're watching me rub my face. I'll play shows. I'm not worried about it, I guess. But like, it is frustrating to be like, I drove two hours and the four of us got paid eighteen dollars. <laughs> I'm I'm freaking tired of it. I get it's the way it goes though in places like that. Ludicrously oversaturated markets, like you said, people work for a hot dog and a handshake, and it's like, yeah, dude. Well, I mean. So, that that just undersells everyone else that's legitimate musicians, you know. <laughs> so back in back in February of this year, we got we got asked to come and open up for this band, and and thank you guys at the Over the River Band in Counts Bluffs. It, I had fun even though I had pneumonia. Um, we played for like an hour, and I just wanted to crawl in a hole somewhere and just kind of die. But we had a fantastic time. And new place, new stage, the whole thing. And this guy that owns the place, he says, oh, yeah, we'll give you a, you guys come in and play and we'll give you a cut of, you know, the door. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay, cool. We'll play for an hour. We'll split bucks or we'll, we'll split a hundred bucks or whatever it was. And I was just looking at it as something fun to go do because we hadn't really been playing music at all during the winter. And this was kind of a spur of the moment thing. So we went and did it. And at the end of the set, I literally just exited the building because I was sick and I I just left. And my buddy Greg, the keyboard player, uh, stayed and uh, he went to settle up with the guy at the door. And the guy says to him, uh, uh, well, you know, here's your guys's cut. And I think it was like a total of 18 bucks. <laughs> and Greg was like, you can just keep it, yep. <laughs> you know. And, uh, basically, I mean, it's one of those things like you go into some of these places and you'll spend 20, 25 bucks on drinks or something. And then you're like, Hey, we played music for an hour, but, um, we got $18. All righty. Yeah. yeah. And that, and it sucks. Yeah. It happens. You just roll with the punches and go with it. you like you said, you realize maybe I don't play this place next time, or maybe I don't play this place every single week, you know, or something like that. Cause I mean, like I said, I'm playing punk music, and there's 
a bazillion punk bands in Iowa and we all play at the same places and none of them pay extraordinarily well. Um, uh oh, Howard's here. Howard? Howdy, come here. Got a visitor. Right. Right. Gotta chill out, buddy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got his toy shut off. This is Howard. Hey, what's up, Howard? Hey, buddy. This is Howard. He came to wreck the show, but nice. Uh, We're actually getting close to be the end of the end of the show here. Do you got anything to say, Howard? Do you want to say hi to everyone? Can you say hi? No, you got to say it. You got to actually say hi. Can you say hi? He can talk. I know he can talk. He can, <laughs> yell. he can yell and scream. He can say a lot of bad words too that he shouldn't be saying. Oh, <laughs> I think we've all done that once, probably. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, um, Josh, so we've got we've got this upcoming gig on November seventh. Can you be quiet, please? Um, we've got this upcoming online gig on November seventh at seven p.m. Uh, it's live from Mars. I'll have a. Uh, link to uh, the website on our Facebook page at Open Interest Band on Facebook. And uh, we'll be playing for approximately an hour and a half, and we'll have a interview somewhere halfway in between that. Cool. And that's one way to connect with us. Um, folks can follow me, my own personal um, venture, um, at Joshwig Music. That is also on Facebook and Instagram. And, uh, you know, after this November 7th gig, I don't think there's a whole lot of people doing much. I mean, as this weather kind of changes and this and that, there's a, and this whole COVID virus thing is coming out. There's a lot of people that are shying away from doing anything inside, yeah. um, especially down here in my area, which is understandable. It's so understandable. Yep. After the November 7th gig, um, it's kind of up in the air. I don't know really what's going to happen. We may just have to wait till uh, next spring to finally get back outside and play some music someplace. Yeah. So, thank have... you very much for your time today. Yeah, um, man. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate your platform to uh, actually get out and um, talk to maybe some new people that are out there who haven't seen me before. Yeah, definitely. And I really I appreciate your time. Yeah, uh, st- stick tight. I'm I'm gonna end the recording here in a second. Josh, it's been great sitting down talking with you. Uh, you're a great guest, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, baby, Josh was a cool interview. Um, good to talk to. Easy to talk to. I mean, we covered an hour and a half almost just the two of us. So that's pretty cool. Uh, not every podcast goes that easily, and uh, you know, it's just the way it goes. Josh, like I said, Josh is a great guy to talk to. Easy to talk to. If you see him at a show, say hello, say you heard him on the Audible Farm podcast and give him a high five. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of his stuff live. I've got some links down below. If anybody wants to scroll down below and check out the links, you'll be able to listen to and see and hear some of Josh's material down there. So check that out. Uh, All other stuff available for Josh is down below in the description section. So make sure you give him the like and give him the poke and and give him the, uh, the high five and the follow and the subscribe and and listen to his tunes and everything do do all the good stuff um check it out i I feel like he would do very good up in my area which is uh full of singer songwriter types of people uh you know i i I hope we can somehow bridge the gap between some of the areas in in iowa because it's pretty cool there's a lot of crazy cool stuff going on in different areas of iowa and a lot of people don't really know about what's going on in the other area so that's kind of why we're here at audible farm trying to help out so if you guys uh are interested in josh's stuff check out his links down below and uh maybe shoot him a booking date or something 
Uh, he does have that show coming up on November 7th. That is this weekend. Uh, it is a live event. Check out his Facebook page for more information on that one. There will be a link down below for that as well. Uh, Josh, shout out for joining me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, taking time out of your day to join me to talk to everyone. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hey, did you guys know that Three Finger Betty has a new album out? Um, that's right, Three Finger Betty. That's the band that I play in. I play in a band called Three Finger Betty. We play rock and roll, punk, metal, something in that area. And we released a new album, and it uh, it's actually pretty darn good. Um, I mean, that's me tooting my own horn. If you want to check it out, uh, go to bandcamp.com slash threefingerbetty. Actually, I think it's threefingerbetty.bandcamp.com. Yes, it's, it is threefingerbetty.bandcamp.com. Com. That's where you can find the new album. It is the Three Finger Betty uh, self-titled EP. There are six songs on there, and uh, they're doozies, everybody. This is a, it's kind of a fun album that we sat down and recorded, and uh, hopefully next week I'll be uh, have someone on here to talk to you a little bit about that and uh, the trials and tribulations that went through uh, you know, recording an album and some of the difficulties we faced, etc., etc. So... Uh, if you guys want to check it out, it is threefingerbetty.bandcamp.com. Uh, thank you guys very much. There's been a lot of people listening to it and checking it out already. So uh, really appreciate it, guys. Thank you much. And uh, hey, I'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be just as good as this one. Uh, and that's going to be hard to top. So uh, this week, like I said, this week's episode was awesome. I almost didn't have to do any talking. So shout out, Josh. I really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, next week, new episode. It's going to be great. I'm glad everybody tuned in this week. Uh, Tell some friends about the podcast. Give us the subscribe on YouTube or give us some comments wherever you're watching or listening. So we know that people are out there listening to this. Uh, Thank you guys very much. I really appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. And if you're a new listener, scroll back through the catalog. You might find somebody you know. All right. Well, that's it. I will check you guys next week. Peace.